Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Midlife AF. This week we are going to have a conversation about the extraordinary opening and slightly terrifying awareness that comes when we realize that the people who are supposed to be in charge don't know what they're doing. Over to me. If you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move, then Midlife AF is the podcast for you. Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you saying it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze. everybody I'm really glad you're here um welcome to this week's episode of midlife af we're focusing on what happens and the feeling of potential chaos that comes with the understanding that the people who are supposed to be in charge don't know what they're doing And this can apply to so much. I'm going to talk about how being a child and making the decision that there's something wrong with us rather than facing the reality that the people in charge don't know what they're doing and are getting it wrong and aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing I'm going to talk about that and the impact that that has on us as adults. And I'm also going to talk about my experience of that as a child and how that's playing out for me in adult life right now around the real connection between trying to find appropriate care for my kid in a neurotypical-oriented world and the impact that that has on all of us. I do want to talk about the word resilience as well and the weaponizing of resilience for women and children um, but I might leave that for another podcast because talking about pushing through, I need to try and help my baby get to her into school program today. So I don't have too much time. So that might be a subject for another day. It's so interesting, the interconnectedness, the synchronicity of everything in this space and just how interesting it is from my perspective. So just to take us back a little bit, there's a few principles of 
childhood development that are important to understand in order for this to make sense to us. And I've probably spoken about this before, and if I haven't, my apologies, but basically what happens in a child's brain, there's always pauses in my floor, sorry, and I, again, please owning the fact that I'm going through a bit of burnout at the moment and uh, my brain isn't functioning quite as well as it should be. Um, ADHD, menopause, and a few other things. Um, but just basically, my brain is a wee bit slow. So looking for words is often where I'm at. And also, my memory's not that great, my short term memory at the moment. And I know that's when I am a bit burnt out. That's my my ADHD symptoms and my menopause symptoms. So that's my call to rest, which is great that we had Jane's on the podcast last week, right? So back to the subject at hand. So you know, guys know that I'm studying under Gabor Mate and I'm doing his Compassionate Inquiry training course. And as part of that course, I do a triad or a dyad with other students who are learning to... Uh, use the compassionate inquiry model in their work. And so what that means is that every week we do an inquiry on ourselves, on what's triggering us, on what's going on for us. It's very much rooted in how we feel in the body, learning to feel our feelings. And this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to do Gabo Mate's course, because it really aligns with the work that I do with women around alcohol, which is very much about how do we train our precious selves, often neurodiverse, often had trauma, and just being a woman who has suppressed our feelings, been made to feel like our emotions are bad, not been allowed to focus on our wants and needs, and so we've had to suppress them in many ways, not including not eating sufficient amount of food um, to nourish our bodies because of the whole diet culture thing but also in so many other ways of putting everybody else's needs first and putting our needs last, which is why it makes it so hard for us to start changing that as well because of the patterns that we get into with the with our significant others and everybody else who it's very, 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 you know, it, it works very well for them that we put our needs last. And so it can be a bit of a transition moving that around but what ends up happening for us is we end up burnt out exhausted and unable to push through and the only way that we can push through is by using alcohol and that is the problem that we're facing at the moment so taking us back to the subject matter at hand I was doing my compassionate inquiry dyad work and I was feeling really burnt out I was feeling really burnt out because I just finished my launch and I worked really hard on my launches and I don't mind that is a high energy time for me. And I know that afterwards I need to take some time out to relax and to, to, to sort of recalibrate, to refill my cup. And for me, that involves taking some time to myself, maybe going on a bit of a retreat, um, getting back into my walking, getting back into my swimming, going to ecstatic dance, doing some choir, doing some yoga, that kind of thing, right? And I start very slowly. I don't make it a you know, thing I have to do. It's for me, everything's about how do I make this easy? How do I make this lovely? How do I make this restful for myself? How do I make this not a punishment, not something I'm trying to fix myself with? Um, 
And so I'm talking to my group in this inquiry and I'm saying I'm feeling really, really burnt out at the moment, particularly around advocating for my kid in a medical and school system that assumes that it knows best when I, because I've had to kind of really fight to understand what is going on for my kid, find out what her particular type of autism is, understand how to care for that in a way that means that she is able to achieve the best that she can at the time um, by providing a very safe place at home, a low demand environment, lots of co-regulation and finding, trying to find the right supports. And because of the particular type of autism that my kid has, it's very unknown, it's very new, and what she's actually suffering from, which is autistic burnout right now because of school trauma and masking, is also very unknown about, people don't know about it. And what how it presents is it's, it's like chronic fatigue. It presents that she is completely and utterly exhausted and sleeping most of the time. It also presents that she's highly, highly dysregulated a lot of the time and feels things very strongly, like many of us neurodivergent, highly sensitive people, uh, very attuned to the environment that she's in, very attuned to people's motivations and behaviours. Um, like a lot of autistic people, very, very sensitive to the world and, you know, on high alert, so nervous system on high alert, like many of us female females in the world for lots and lots of different reasons as well. So I'm in this group and I'm saying I'm feeling really tired because we were doing really well. I was feeling really, she was feeling really good about herself. I was feeling really good about myself. And then we started to get some criticism from the program that we are partaking in, which I hadn't, I was nervous about doing in the first place anyway, but we started to get that because you're not able to make as much as you can, as, as, as the ideal is, um, you're not going to succeed, you are bad, you are wrong, you, you're you not trying hard enough, you should be doing this if we keep pushing. And there's this sort of very much about pushing, very, very much about pushing, which brings me into resilience, which again is another subject matter for another day. But I keep saying, look, here's all the evidence to show that pushing is the last thing a exhausted, chronic, fatigued person needs, they need encouraging to be where they're at they need support celebration they need low demands they need to know that they're safe they need to know that their mum's not bringing unsafe people into their world they need to know that they're listened to they need to know all the things that we don't know as adults right which stops us in being able to feel our feelings, being able to identify how we feel. They need to be able to start having some interceptive awareness. They need to be able to have agency. They need to be able to say, put boundaries in and say, I can't do this today and recognize that. But what the system's built to do is to, it's about attendance, not about health and well-being. And it's a big change because you know, when you're dealing with a kid who is not able to attend school, 
we're struggling with school, of course, all our conditioning comes out. And my, you know, your first reaction is, and everybody's reaction around you is, oh my God, you must get them to school. If you panic, everyone's in panic. Go to get them to school. And, you know, you can see your child's declining. You can see it's not working, but we just all, we've got been conditioned that it's all about, we've got to get them to school. And slowly your connection with your child starts to go because you're trying to force them to do something they can't do um, because they're in burnout. And it's literally when you're in autistic burnout, like my kid is from chronic, and this is so common, it's not rare. So just be warned about this if, if you don't know anything about it, is keep pushing kids to do stuff and keep pushing kids to masking, to mask. When their nervous system's dysregulated, they go into shutdown. And what shutdown is, is basically, it's like the body says no. Body says no. And I was the I was feeling fatigued by just people not getting it. People saying they're getting it, people saying they're reading the books that I'm sending them, saying they're reading the research papers, saying they're attending the conferences, and then still not getting it. Still coming up with the same systems that led, in my opinion. And in a lot of research's work, for me, in my opinion, it's lead to us as women in midlife drinking in order to push through, in order to keep doing, in order to be resilient, again, another word, or as another better word for how we use resilience in our community to be compliant and we've done this, and so there's this whole narrative about resilience, there's this whole narrative about, well, it was good enough for me. And my question is, was it? Was it really good enough for our generation? Or have we ended up a group of middle-aged women who can't feel our feelings, who can't advocate for ourselves, who don't know who we are, because we, we've been so busy trying to be all the things to keep us safe for very good reasons in this world, that doesn't allow us to say we can't do something, it's too much, for whom we've created this narrative of rest is being selfish, looking after ourselves is being selfish, and all this stuff. I mean, it's systemic, it's generational, you know. So anyway, back to the story. Uh, so I'm sat there and I'm feeling really burnt out by this. I'm feeling really just like I keep telling them, and so I tell them on Friday, and then on Monday we go in, Tuesday we can't get in, I get the call. What can we do? Can we speak to your kid? How are we going to get her to school? And I'm like, we're doing so much better than we've ever done. And you're putting pressure on us and implying that we're not good enough. It's not good enough. And so what I'm seeing now is that my kid's declining. And I'm fucked off, to be honest because she's starting to feel the pressure. She's starting to feel that she's not good enough. She was so excited about going here. She was so excited about doing this program, but I am at the point of pulling her out of it because I can't have her decline or think that there's something wrong with her when there isn't. There isn't. She's recovering from a physical condition. And going back to this idea that when we're little, and this happens to pretty much every woman I work with, at some point, we did not see our value 
reflected back to us in the eyes of our caretakers, our parents, our teachers, whoever it was. And so what happens as a child, instead of believing that there is something wrong with the world, that the caregivers might have their own trauma, might have their own experience of life that leads them to behave in ways that are not acceptable to us to shout at us they've got their own fear they want like no one's coming from a bad place in all of this right none of this is deliberate but it's really important that we're aware of it so our parents are shouting at us husbands are shouting at the kids people are worrying about things everything's escalating and people are being forced to push through I had it last night with my own husband 10 o'clock at night um, I've said, right, I'm not doing any more tonight. I'm tired. He comes in. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And, it, and it's like this expectation that we'll push through. Um, and it's funny, actually, I had some feedback that I talk too much about myself in my work. Um, and I just, I'd, I, I, again, this is for me to storytelling, talking about my world is a way of me connecting with people. And so, again, if me talking about my experience and talking about my learnings around the nervous system, around pushing through, around all this stuff, isn't your bag, that's totally fine. Turn off. <laughs> but if it is and it speaks to you, then great, because I'm pretty sure that there are other people experiencing simple things or who can connect with what I'm talking about in some way or other. The exhaustion comes from just keep petitioning, be petitioning, trying to find care people who get it. And it's really hard. And I actually haven't found one set yet. I found people who are willing to learn. I found odd person who, but they're generally not people who are available to be a full-time, to work with my kid over more than say a six week period. They're more like emergency people. Um, and I find people in the culture are great, but again, they won't recommend anybody because they're worried about they're worried about that coming back on them, which is understandable. So taking me back. So as a child, we as little narcissistic people, and that doesn't mean we have a narcissistic personality disorder, what that means is as a development stage that everything revolves around us and this is often when we stop drinking we are often in that place as well because emotionally we are stunted and drinking stunts us and our emotional development and it makes us very um self-orientated so everything's about us everybody's being mean to us it's all you know um and so what happens to a child when they, a caretaker, doesn't, and this can be for so many different reasons, so please don't get hung up on, I had a great childhood, my parents were amazing. Yes, they were, great. But at some point, most people didn't have their value reflected back in their eyes of their caregivers because their caregivers were busy doing something else. They had their own issues. They had their own trauma. They were looking after another kid, whatever it might be. We don't always get what we, you know, also the, you know, the culture at the time, what we need. And so what happens for the child is we then internalize that. 
And rather than accept the terrifying, chaotic idea that the people in the charge don't know, people in charge don't know what the fuck they're doing, we make it about us. We make it, it's much easier. We can control it then. And then starts that cycle of control, the cycle of anxiety, the cycle of if I can control everything, if I can fix everything, if I can make everything better, eventually I will be okay. And as I always say, we're trying to fix ourselves. We we do not need fixing. We do not need fixing. We are not a problem that needs solving. We we need to connect to ourselves. We need to learn a different way. We need to learn to move away from disconnecting and towards connecting. We need to stop thinking that alcohol is connecting us. And we need to start, I mean, because the whole thing is we're born and we're born and we seek the truth. But our personality comes in, the world comes in, and it doesn't want the truth. It's trying to avoid the truth. It's trying to construct a armor so that we fit in. Because we're worried, again, it's like this, this anxiety, this this scarcity, this holding on to, this clinging on to, the controlling, the fixing, the constant fear. It's all coming from a place of fear. The fear that we won't be loved. The fear that we won't be okay. The fear that we'll lose our security. All of these are very relevant fears, right? There's nothing wrong with these fears. But what we do in escaping these fears instead of addressing them and being a soft place for ourselves to land is we keep ourselves in a perpetuating pattern of fear. Because the most terrifying thing is letting go and saying, I don't have to hold on to this anymore. I don't have to hold this all so tightly because I am not wrong. I am not bad. My essence is good. I don't need to be fixed. None of this needs fixing. I just learned to need to learn to be. You know, I saw a post with um, Glennon Doyle and she said, what if it's easier? How do I make this easy? How do I make this easy today? What do I need to stop? What can I do that's easy? Going to make me feel better right now. Hmm. For me, yesterday, putting on The Greatest Showman. This is The Greatest Show, my latest hyperfixation song. Love it. Um... So taking you back to the diet, so we were going through why was I feeling so burnt out and why was I feeling so, you know, the feeling I was had was it's like sadness, it's an anger, but it's like a it's like a deep anger and sadness. It's like a um I feel it in my tummy. My shoulders drop, but it's like a resignation. It's like a uh, hopelessness it's like a hopelessness and it doesn't stick around for long because I'm a very upbeat person but it's that whole oh my god it's me against the world and I'm just little (laughs) I'm just little and I'm trying to teach them all these things and they're like you're not an expert we're the experts um but I tell you what it reminded me of we went back and this is why I love compassionate inquiry so much and why I do it with my clients I will do it in my groups because everything's about our childhood right And you don't even realize it was so interesting. I was talking to them about this feeling and I said, and they said, what does it remind you of? And I said, it reminded me of going on holiday with my grandparents 
when I was a kid, me and my sister used to go and hand, have our half terms with my grandparents because my parents lived in Africa. We went to boarding school, which we loved. Well, I loved. I don't think my sister did, actually, but I loved. Um, but we used to go and stay with my grandparents. And my grandparents were, you know, good-hearted people, but they had their own trauma, particularly my grandmother. I imagine she was very neurodivergent. She was highly anxious, very, very obsessed with, you know, cleaning and tidying. I imagine that she felt that if her house was clean and tidy and she appeared perfect to the outside world, then it would be okay and she could be loved, I imagine. Um, and again, probably formed from her childhood too. But she was always busy, she was always cleaning, and she was quite nasty to our internal family, but appeared to be this pillar of society outside. And she was always very nice to me, but she was not nice to my sister. And as and like it broke my sister's heart, but it broke my heart as well. It didn't break my heart as much, I'm sure, but it broke my sister's heart, and it really damaged her, it really damaged her. Um, we've not really talked about it properly, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. Um, that I probably ought to check with her. But anyway, um, my, and I'll talk about my experience. So my experience is not about her experience, but so we were staying with my grandparents in Wales and, and I notice this sometimes when I stay in, when, in our family environment it's all like smiles and happiness to begin with. And then very quickly, you realise people don't really like you being in their house because you don't do things their way, you make a mess, and everything has to be just so, right? And everyone has to follow the rules, but often the rules aren't, we don't know what the rules are. So as a child, it's very confusing. And also, you know, adults are a bit scary. It's hard to ask them things anyway I think for some reason my my memory might be not clear on this but my sister was blowing her nose with toilet paper and if she had obviously had a cold or she was crying I don't know but we were only little like I mean we were 10 11 we were little and you know I have a firm belief that both me and my sister are neurodivergent and emotionally and our executive function of a ADHD kid neurodivergent kid is, 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 is quite well known to be about 30% behind. So, you know, if we're 10, 11, take us as being about seven, eight, right? Um, so my grandma comes and we, for some reason, I think we're eating or something, and she starts being awful to my sister about her blowing her nose on the tissue. And this must have, like, there must have been being digs at my sister all the time we were down there, but I know I stood up to my sister, from for my sister. I probably didn't do it very well. I probably used the wrong words. It probably wasn't helpful. It probably made things worse. But I stood up for my sister and I said, look, you know, you need to stop being mean to her about this. It doesn't matter. Or something like that. I can't even remember. But I remember it was just this feeling of powerlessness that these people who were supposed to be our grandparents were causing my sister harm over shit that didn't matter and we had no way of getting away from that. We had nowhere to go. And my little voice didn't matter. Didn't matter. 
And look, I know it's a tiny thing, but it came up for me and then it made me realize this is how I'm feeling, that hopelessness, that powerlessness, that we can't go anywhere. And you know what I've been reading in, um, I was listening to Bessel Bandicoot talking about the work of, trying to remember the name of the guy. Oh, it's actually funny enough, um, the guy who um, did the drug, dog's drooling thing. Oh, so annoying. My brain's not working properly. Um, you guys will know who it is, but it's basically, he used to be, a, he was very well known for being a behavioralist. And he proved this, he had this theory and he proved it by saying, you know, it's not about, you know, the dog will drool at the ring of a bell rather because first of all, they start ringing the bell, then they give the the dog food. And so they'd ring the bell, the dog would drool, then it would get food. And then they stopped giving the dogs food. And sorry, it sounds really awful and barbaric. I'm sure they gave them food later, but they stopped rewarding them with food, but the dogs still were conditioned to drool. So that's what he's famous for, and I can't remember his name. But he also did a whole load of other research around trauma and what he found and what people say about a lot of the people who didn't end up very traumatized by um, 9-11 was because they were able to run away. So, of course, loads of people were very traumatized by it, but people were less traumatized than they could have been because one of the things in trauma is not just the situation, it's how we take it into our body, it's how we process it. A lot of it's about having, having somebody to talk to about it at the time, but the other part of it is, is, is you know, being able to run away. And not being able to run away is very traumatizing, not being able to escape. And often we find when people are going through their own version of trauma, you know, they're wanting to run. They want to, you know, their feet are moving. They want to escape. And we just want to get away. And I get that a lot when I'm going through something and it feels big emotion. I want to get away, especially when it's something that brings me shame or makes me feel really bad about myself. So anyway, I'm going to finish up pretty quickly here. But it's just really, really interesting. And I really, you know, recommend that you all look at this idea of fixing ourselves, this idea of there's being something wrong with us. If we can control everything, if we can keep this really tight scarcity grip on everything. And we often make alcohol about that as well. Alcohol, if we're not drinking, we're being good. We're holding on. We're in control. And of course, scarcity is willpower. It brings us into resistance. When we're in resistance, we're resisting what is. So instead of feeling the feeling and saying, I'm feeling powerless and hopeless and a bit scared because I'm going to have to try and do this education thing and work this through myself and there's a possibility. But my, my biggest concern is keeping my kids safe. And I know through all the research that I've done that trying to push them through isn't going to help. It's not going to help her in future life. She, there's so many um, connections between autoimmune disease and suppression. Um, there's so many connections with, um, you know, at, you know, outcomes, future outcomes, um, diseases, and suppression. There's um, eating disorders, you know, and I just only have to look at all the women I work with myself, my generation, all the adaptations that we have to keep us safe, all the stuff we're clinging on to so fucking tightly as if it really matters, because the idea of it not mattering means that there's chaos. It means that we can't fix it. It means that it just is. And to our 
ego to our thinking brain, that's terrifying. But actually it's fear that's driving it. And it's the resistance to fear. It's the resistance to feeling of fear, comforting ourselves in our distress. That's the problem. Not the, not the control. So a lot of the time we're drinking to stop us feeling that all the shoulds, all the pressure. And so if we could release the pressure a little bit, if we can release our grip a little bit, our tight control on everything, our need to know how everything's going to be all the time. And this is an easy work. And this is why I say, you know, working with a coach or counselor who is trained in this work, who's trauma informed, you know, these little traumas that we take on as children, highly sensitive people, people with small T, big T trauma, you know, we, we all take on trauma and we need to process this stuff so that we can exist in a world and bring a different narrative to our children. And this is the joy for me of this work and this is what it's all about. I'd love to get back from you some feedback on how you think about this podcast. It's a really interesting conversation and I know it can be polarizing. Anyway, I've got to go and see if my little baby is able to get out of bed and go and do this thing that we're supposed to be doing together today. She's already had her dad walk through the house and have a bit of a shout, so that's not going to be good for the nervous system. And now we're going to go and try and do that. But I just want to say to you guys, this is all right. This is normal life. Our kids need us, works hard. Our partners can be you know, reactive as well, is this is what it is. This is life, but it's not catastrophic. It's not terrible. There's so many amazing moments in this day, you know. There's going to be so many amazing moments. Yes, some things are hard, but we can do this. We just need to build a safe home inside ourselves and listen to our fear and reassure it. Let it be there. Welcome it. All right, my beautiful humans. I take care and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com for my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine. And remember to keep choosing you.